actually sniffed out a clue. Like a dog. I'm having mixed feelings about this. Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Maybe it's me who needs to understand Fred. You know, walk a mile in his ascot. So let me get this straight. To stop annoying Fred, you're going to become Fred, which is guaranteed to annoy Fred? Sandwich, big sandwich. Build that sandwich high. Sandwich, big sandwich. Up into the sky. He used to say, whoa, nobody move. My tuna fish sandwich is missing. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Welcome to the third episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme. This week we have director James Krensky, who worked on about 15 to 17 episodes in the series. Let's get right into the interview. Hi James, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Sure. Anytime. Now, if you're up for it, I'd like to start off with three quick questions of Scooby-Doo related trivia. Okay. So question one, uh, why is Fred in court in the People versus Fred Jones? Well, he is accused of stealing uh, a bunch of goods from an abandoned town in that episode. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. And question two, in the Ghost in the Mystery Machine episode, what is the name of the town? Ghost in the Mystery Machine, what is the name of the town? The town that... I remember most of that takes place in the desert, doesn't it? Yes, uh, most of it does, but they stop in a certain town, uh, which is their second mystery in that town. Ooh, you know what? I don't recall that one. <laughs> Sorry. The name of the town is Velasco. Velasco, okay. I do remember, wasn't there, I think we hit a little Easter egg in that one where, is, is that that episode where they say, um, like, Bud from the gas station is going to flip out or something? Is that, um, I don't that might remember be a different off the episode. top of my head. That might be that one. Okay. Yeah, and I think that was referenced to uh, an earlier episode about something about um, there's a school that they uh, they try to figure out. There's a ghost in the school. Definitely. Um, yeah. Anyway, rambling. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, and last question for the trivia. Uh, which member of the gang's backstory do we get to see in the episode uh, Professor Huh? Part 1 and Part 6 and 3 quarters? That would be Fred. Yes, that is correct. And to kick off the general questions here, what is your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching it all? Yeah, I did. Um, watched the original series. Um, I don't think I, I saw all the episodes, but... Um... You know, mostly they were on TV. We didn't have streaming or internet when I was a kid. So we had to wait for the time when it would air and uh, 
pick it up when I could. And uh, it's it's pretty popular here in the U.S. Um, and also overseas. Um, I know they're always producing, you know, a different take on it because it plays really well over there. So uh, about every two years, there's a new Scooby-Doo. Definitely. And how did you personally come to work in animation? Um, how did I? I in high school, I drew a lot. Um, and I, I grew up uh, in Burbank. So I went to Burbank High and pretty much Burbank is the hub of the United States for animation. We had Warner Brothers, Disney, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, all these um, stations were in uh, uh, Burbank. So Burbank High School um, actually had a animation program. So I joined that and a startup company uh, called Zow, X-O-W, came around to all the high schools in Burbank, Glendale, Pasadena, and they um, they were just looking for uh, for kids uh, like me at a high school that were good in art uh, that we could join the company and we can uh, do some designs and animation for them. And we ended up uh, making this software that teaches kids how to animate and how to draw. Um, unfortunately, it never got released. We kept on redoing it over and over again. Um, I guess as the times changed, as we were producing it, you know, we, we had stylistic changes, so we kept on redoing it. And uh, the last iteration of that was stop motion. So um, I got to work in stop motion animation a lot. And then from there, um, I kind of saw how animation was changing. I think around then it was uh, about 2002, 2003 or four when the traditionally animated films in the box office weren't doing so well. Uh, so I, I kind of, I knew that drawing and, um, and stop motion probably were not gonna be the, the career choice uh, to go forward. So I, I got into digital. So I got into, back then it was called Flash. Now it's called Animate, Adobe Animate. And um, I worked for a company called Six Point Harness. And we did a lot of, uh, animator or flash uh, adobe flash work i think i worked there for about six years and then from there i went to film roman and i worked on dan versus and i was able to direct on that show and um when we did that for three seasons i think and once that was done i came over to warner brothers and worked on teen titans go for a season and then when i heard that they were redoing scooby-doo i jumped on that i um I asked if I could uh, direct on that show because I, I was a big fan of Scooby-Doo and um, I knew this was a new kind of comedic take on it. And, um, and that's how I got into Scooby-Doo. And now I'm back at uh, Teen Titans Go. Awesome. And was uh, working in animation something that you had always pictured yourself doing? No, you know, I have like uh, these old videos of me in elementary school saying I wanted to be a pilot. And it's ironic because I hate flying now. Like, not just the the cramped plane and all that stuff, but, um, you know, being up in the air. For, I, I didn't have a problem with it when I was young, but uh, getting older, I guess I don't like being so high off the ground. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I was just, you know, my, my parents always were, were great with uh, encouraging me to, to draw and uh, pursue my artist, artistic side. So I was always drawing and um, it just kind of, I just kind of grew into the the field, I think. It was never anything I really was pursuing, I would say. Oh, awesome. 
And uh, for those that maybe don't know, can you just describe what the role of a director does, especially on Be Cool? Sure. Um, so this varies by production. Pretty much all the productions that I've worked on have gone this way, where the director gets a script. Um, we usually have two or three storyboard artists on our team. We roll out the, the script to our storyboard team. And um, the project that I've worked on, they've allowed us uh, some leeway to rewrite. So during that process of storyboarding, I'm usually rewriting. I'm sitting with the producers or the writer. And we're rewriting things that we think we can make funnier or that don't really work story-wise um, or that feel a little bit out of character. And um, so once we get the storyboard finished, we're making, uh, we make an animatic. And an animatic is um, something that we take all the drawings and we time them out. Uh, we add our own music, we add our own sound effects, and we, um, we present it as something that you can just press play and you can watch basically all the way through with all of the acting, all the music, um, all the sound effects, the voices, everything's in there. So it makes it really easy to see what the final episode is going to look like. And then from there, the so in, in a lot of productions, the director's done. So uh, once they finish their storyboard or animatic, they're usually finished. But the projects that I've worked on, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to take it through design through animation, uh, so I was able to look at all the keys. The keys are um, like a very rough version of animation. It's just the main poses, the big uh, poses that they send over, uh, either from Canada or from Korea. I'm able to look at those and fix any poses or, or timing that I, I think needs to be fixed and then send it back. Then it comes back to me again for uh, take ones and take twos of animation. And then once that is all done, I'm able to sit with the post-production team and we add our special effects and things like that. Um, and then after that, we go into mix and mix is where we do our final pass of sound effects and, um, and music and voices and make sure that all the, the levels are good um, and that we get all the sound effects that we want in there. And then when it's done, I get to sit in this thing called an online, which is the very last step. That's the last chance I have to make any notes uh, because after that, it goes straight to the network. They they online it, basically, and they, they, they send it over uh, to the network, and then they air it. So I, as a director, I'm lucky because I get to sit through the entire process from script to screen. Um, a lot of shows, uh, I know The Simpsons and, and other shows like at Disney, um, they have other directors that take over. Once the storyboard director is done, the animation director will take over, and... Um, and then they'll take it to online. But um, I have a different process. And what is it like when you're working on a series with, you know, maybe multiple directors working on different episodes? Do you communicate to try and uh, keep the show consistent? You know, um, I try. It's, a, it's difficult because we're, each director is kind of in their own little bubble trying to finish their episode. Um, so when we sometimes it comes into effect when we have a multi-parter. So if we have a, you know, a two-parter or even a four-parter, uh, we have to make sure that things are consistent. But usually the ones that'll keep a, an eye on that are like the supervising director or the producer. Uh, either Luke Cormigan or uh, Pete McHale will, you know, when they review my animatic, 
they'll say, oh, well, Ken, the other director did this. So we want to make sure that they hook up. Um, so they'll let me know uh, something that another director has done. It's, it's, it's a little difficult to, um, to kind of step outside your own episode while you're directing it because you're so involved. And, um, and the, you know, these things are produced at such a fast clip. And also you're not only directing on one episode at once. So uh, in our production, I'm usually working on about three episodes at one time. So while I'm doing the storyboards for one episode, animation will come in and I'm doing keys at the same time. And then as I'm doing those keys, uh, you know, there'll be a mix for another episode or an online. So I've always, I'm kind of juggling three episodes at once. So um, it's a little difficult to, to get out of, you know, your own little uh, box and, and make sure that everything's hooking up, but they do get hooked up by uh, the producers and the, and the uh, supervising director. And we eventually get it all looking nice and, and consistent. And when you're working on multiple episodes at a time, what does a typical day look like for you? How are you breaking things up? Uh, usually, um, I mean, the, I would say the days are very different, but uh, the months are probably the same. So at the beginning of each month, uh, we usually break a new episode. So what will happen is, is um, that first week, it'll be me breaking down the script and making sure that my storyboard artists um, are ready to go and they're going in the right direction and that I answer any questions that they have. And then they start thumbnailing their, their storyboards, which are very rough uh, drawings. And then in the second week, you know, I'll either some keys will be coming in or I'll be asked design questions or go to a mix or something like that or an online for another episode while the board artists are working. Um, and I'm giving notes to them as well as, as things are coming in from their side. And that continues through the third week. And then at the fourth week is our last week for that new storyboard. So that's when we're wrapping everything up. So I'm usually grabbing all of the files from my board artists as they're finishing them and then I'm tweaking them. So I'm maybe correcting some timing or some designs or you know, moving around some dialogue or things like that while I prepare it um, for pitch. And pitch is when we turn in our animatic and we basically pitch it to the, to the producers and, and see what they think. And if they have any notes, then we take that back and we address that. So, um, so yeah, that's the, that's the month usually. Per day, you know, those those things like mixes and onlines and things can fall on, you know, any kind of day during the week, depending on schedule. Um, so sometimes, sometimes they'll, it'll be kind of relaxed. I'll be able to, to schedule my day um, where I know exactly, you know, to the hour what I'm going to do. And sometimes when a lot of episodes are coming in at once, because of the way that the schedule is and their air dates uh, we might have a, a couple of holiday specials or something that come up. And if I worked on both of those holiday specials, they need to hit certain dates. So um, all the animation for both episodes will be coming in at one time. And then another mix for another episode will be coming in. And then I'm working on a storyboard. So those crunch weeks are really tough because everything will kind of pile on at once. And um, it never feels like we have enough time. But magically, it all gets done at the end. I don't know how, but it does. <laughs> Somehow, somehow it all gets done. Yeah, we pull, we pull through somehow. And so roughly, what's your timeline from script to screen? So from script to screen, it takes about a year. Um, maybe, maybe 10 months to a year, something like that. Uh, so 
writing the script uh, maybe takes a month or a couple months, and then it goes into boards, and storyboards usually take about a month. And then design, I think, takes about a month or two. And then it goes to animation, I think, for about six months, six to eight months. And then when that comes back, it goes into um, post. That takes about another month. And post is um, when we kind of sweeten all the uh, the special effects and things like that. We add glows to lights and, um, you know, uh, whenever somebody's shooting a laser, we make it look nice and we, you know, punch up uh, maybe some reflections in a mirror or in a, uh, in a window or something like that. Um, and then after that, uh, we do the mix. So that probably takes about another month. Um, and uh, and the, uh, the mixers prepare all the, the sound effects. And then when they're done, I go to that mix um, and I review it with them. And then after that uh, is the online about another month later. So um, yeah, about a year. It's, a, it's quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, whenever I take freelance, uh, freelance is like, you know, side gigs. When I take a side job, uh, people that aren't in the animation industry usually think that, oh, it's, you know, it's no big deal. You can finish, you know, this animation in a couple of days or so, right? Uh, they, it's hard for people to grasp how involved and how long animation takes because you're, you're doing a new frame of animation, you know, drawing. Um, in our case, I think we do it on two. So it's about once every, or 12, 12 frames a second. So 12 drawings or, or 12 poses a second. Um, so that's a lot of posing um, and, and cleanup and coloring and you know, painting the backgrounds and things like that. So a lot of people uh, don't realize how, how long this process is, but uh, it's worth it. Definitely. Um, and specifically for Be Cool, out of the episodes that you directed, do you have either a favorite or one that sticks out in your mind the most? You know, it's funny. I sometimes when I'm when I'm out, like um, maybe I'll be in Texas or something, and and I'll see, you know, uh, uh, one of the old, or I'll go to the Alamo or something, right? And I'll, and then I'll remember, like, oh, you know, this kind of reminds me of El Bandito, you know, that episode, or um, I'll see a picture of a swamp, and I'll remember the, the when I worked on that swamp episode. So they all kind of have like a special place in my heart. And they always like, you know, remind me of certain uh, things of when I worked on it. And, and I'm, all, I'm all proud of all of them, really. Um, the ones that I think I got the most compliments on uh, that are others' favorites are El Bandito. I know Space. Um, when they went to space, that, that got a lot of love. Um, also, um, the mystery, the Ghost of Mystery Machine one. And um, uh, what's... I forget the actual name of it, but it's the one where they, they have this giant jet, this jumbo jet gremlins on a plane, I think it's called. Um, yeah. And uh, so a lot of stuff from, I think, uh, the second season uh, came out really well. That's when we kind of, we finally found our formula and our footing. We were kind of working that out in the first season. Um, so even though, you know, the, the first episodes came out really good, but they were very difficult to produce because we weren't exactly sure what direction we wanted to go in. Originally, um, the show was kind of pitched as more of a family guy style comedy where, uh, you know, the characters would kind of stand around and, and crack jokes. Um, and then as we, as we produced it and we got going, it turned into this huge kind of adventure, um, 
series where uh, we had these huge action scenes and you know lots of backgrounds and and really cinematic storytelling. So yeah, like I, I just recalled the the Kanyaku episode um, where they go to Japan, and um, that was a big one to produce because we had big crowds and we had all these new buildings that we had to you know to do and this arcade where they dance and all this stuff. So. Yeah, it didn't turn out the way we originally planned, but you know, for the better, I think we we really pushed ourselves and we we made it try to kind of try to be the best that it could be. And what was your favorite part of being able to work on the show? Um, you know, I for a long time, um, you know, I was kind of doing uh, I don't want to say kids animation, you know, younger uh, uh, animation that skewed younger, I would say. Um, so we leaned heavily on the gags and we didn't really put uh, all our emphasis on uh, the storytelling aspect of it, you know? Um, and with Scooby, we really got to do that. You know, we made sure that the the mysteries made sense and uh, we really worked hard on uh, trying to plan out the best way to tell the mystery and when to reveal certain things and, you know, certain clues and things like that. And, I really pushed the cinematic storytelling of it. So I think my favorite aspect of Be Cool is that I got to, uh, you know, stretch my legs um, from a cinematic point of, uh, of view where um, I was really able to almost, it almost felt like doing, you know, feature work uh, where, um, you know, we put a lot of effort into what angles we chose and the lighting and things like that to make it spooky and and even those like uh when it's usually Velma who um who wraps up the episode and, and reveals you know uh, how everything works out um we really tried to make that a little bit different where she would step into scene and they would kind of turn into these kind of like blueprints and they would uh kind of cross dissolve with this cloud effect and um and all that kind of stuff. So, so we really wanted to make it something different than a, a Scooby that you've seen before. So yeah, it's, I'd say that was, that was probably my favorite aspect of it. Definitely. And do you have any favorite memories or fun stories from working on the show that you want to share at all? Um, you know, <clears throat> producing Scooby, we actually uh, went through like, um, I wouldn't say it wasn't uh, turmoil, but it was like uh for example, first we were on the ranch, which was the Warner Brothers. Um, so at Warner Brothers Animation, we actually work on it. It's it's a, called a working lot where, where um, they actually shoot live action. They have sound stages there, and they shoot like commercials and shows. They shot they're shooting the middle while we were there. Um, so uh, we were there at first, and then we got moved to the Burbank Studios, which was down the street. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, uh, right in the middle of production, we, there just wasn't any more space. So, you know, Warner Brothers was producing so much content that, you know, they had to fit all these, you know, uh, staff members somewhere. So they moved us to a, a bigger building, but yeah, we had to pick up everything and we had to move to this new building. Um, and then, you know, uh, learning, you know, even though it's, it's just a drive down the street, um, basically you're, you're learning like your new little territory of where to go to eat and all this stuff. And, um, so, uh, I think we spent, yeah, I think we finished out the season there in the Burbank studios. 
but um it was it was uh it was very interesting um and kind of fun actually to to be on the ranch for a little bit and, and get to know the ranch where you're outdoors and they have like this kind of park area and all these houses that are sets and so you can kind of take your walk and in this like little neighborhood um when you want to get out and stretch your legs and then moving to the Burbank studios is a whole new thing. You know, it's like uh, Jay Leno was there and, you know, uh, they had this iHeartRadio, um, these concerts going on there. And so it was a whole different vibe and these massive uh, sound stages and, and this, this area uh, that you can walk through and, and discover. So um, yeah, each, each little area had its own little uh, like adventure to go and explore. It was pretty neat. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, other than having to pick up and move, were there any challenges working on Scooby at all? Uh, there were. I mean, um, aside from, you know, the show turned out to be much bigger than we anticipated. So we were always stretching the budget and, uh, and time limits and things like that. And um, I won't say that it was easy making Scooby because, you know, we just, our ambitions were so high. We wanted to make it so awesome. Uh, but it was never really thought of that way in the beginning. So we, we never were really budgeted for that. So that was kind of a struggle. Um, we also, we switched producers, I think the middle of season two. Um, and, uh, and that was a little bit difficult. Um, so whenever, you know, when, when you have your groove going in animation, um, whenever there's this, these kind of big change-ups, it always kind of disrupts. It's like kicking an anthill and, you know, all the ants scatter. Um, and we're trying to figure out what to do. Um, but, uh, you know, we gather ourselves pretty quickly and, and we're able to, um, to keep moving. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it's felt like something happened about like every six months or so where it was just like, oh no, how are we going to deal with this? You know, it was a big explosion and then we had to pick up the pieces and put it all back together. But, um, hopefully that doesn't show in the, in the series, you know, I think, we were able to get all of our episodes to a good point where they all look, you know, polished and they all are um, consistent in quality. Um, but yeah, uh, besides that, I mean, every day has its challenges, but yeah, nothing, nothing that, um, I think that really crazy goes on. I know like when, uh, you know, I visited Nickelodeon studios and they have all these, uh, when I was young and um, they had these, Back then, it was like slime and stuff. They had these slime like walls, and and uh, and it looked like a really fun place. And I was like, "Oh, all these crazy things must happen here." You know, they must be having like food fights with pies, and like they're bringing llamas in here, and it's it's just nuts because artists are crazy. Um, but uh, you're always working so hard that none of that stuff really goes on. You're always just you have your head down on your desk and you're just trying to get it done. Um, so yeah, I mean, aside from like the occasional, uh, pizza party or something, um, we were mostly working. So not much time for, for shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And were there any challenges, although you're not, you know, directly writing the script or anything, were there any challenges in keeping to the mystery format with like, you know, revealing clues and things like that? Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, we, you know, first season, we were still trying to find our footing. Um, 
we're, we're, I would say it's, uh, you know, our formula, quote unquote. Um, so a, a script would come in and um, eventually we got to this point where at the very opening, we kind of have this, uh, we called it a cold open, where you just open on some characters. It's not your characters. It's not the Scooby gang. But you basically introduce the monster. And then you go to, um, you know, your intro credits. And, and then you go to your, uh, to introducing the gang. And then they show up in this place. And then um, they find out there's a mystery. And then usually they, um, Scooby and Shaggy go off on their own. And they meet the monster for the first time. And so they have some kind of, uh, some adventure with, with the monster, either it's a chase or it's um, uh, this thing that we have, I forget what it's called. We had a name for it, but basically where Scooby and Shaggy trick the monster into being part of their little skit. So um, like, for example, in, um, in the Swamp episode that I did, um, the Swamp Monster's chasing them and they hide in the bush. And when the swamp monster jumps, you know, through the bushes and tries to find them, uh, they're there with drums and a, and a trumpet um, playing music because it's Mardi Gras. Um, and they, they get the, the swamp monster involved and they, you know, strap some drums on the swamp monster and tell him to start playing. So he's, you know, the swamp monster doesn't know what to do. So he starts playing the drums and uh, they go, you know, as a marching band. Um, and then Scooby and Shaggy have a, a, an opportunity to run off. And the swamp monster's there just playing and, and grooving out until he realizes, like, oh, what am I doing, you know? And then he realizes Scooby and Shaggy are gone, and then uh, he roars or whatever. Um, so that happens usually, and then Scooby and Shaggy go meet up with the gang, tell them that there's a monster. They don't believe them usually. Um, and then a little bit of mystery solving goes on, and then the monster shows up again, and the whole gang this time usually has a chase. And... Um, this is an example of uh, when originally how we thought of it was, you know, these chases would be our classics uh, Scooby-Doo uh, tropes where they're running down hallways that are looped for a long time and they're going through doors and they're doing um, that thing where they pop up through things like uh, like gophers or something, you know, where the, their heads will come up and then they'll go back down and they'll pop up in a different place. Um, so we tried that for a little bit at the beginning. And um, we figured, you know what, let's just go all out and we'll just do like, I think the first episode that had this was uh, my space episode with the, with the UFO. Um, I just said, let's just have this spaceship just going through this area of 52, I think we called it, um, or 51 adjacent or something like that. And it'll just be this big kind of like Spielberg style, uh, you know, chase where, um, they're on top of this ship and it's, you know, it's careening through this uh, facility and they're, they're flying all over the place and, and slipping around and stuff. And they're, they're all trying to, to grab this, uh, this one thing. It's like an orb or, you know, some kind of piece of this technology um, from the spaceship. So in that sense, uh, the script, the scripts originally were not set up to how it was, you know, eventually produced. So um once we found out how to tell these the best way to, to tell these episodes with our formula, then, then it came pretty easy. Then the, the scripts that were coming in were following that formula and it all worked. But yeah, in the beginning, 
we were doing a lot of rewriting and trying to figure out um, how to tell these episodes. And with Be Cool being quite a different take on Scooby-Doo, what was it like to play with these iconic characters? Um, it was pretty cool. I do remember <laughs> when I first came on board, um, I walked into the office of, um, of Zach Moncrief, the producer of the show, um, and on the ground, he had the designs, the new designs there. And um, I looked at them and, and I was just kind of, I was taken aback because they're so different than what we're used to for Scooby. Um, and I was, I was unsure, you know, I wasn't sure if I, I, you know, liked them. I wasn't sure if they would play right for Scooby-Doo. Um, but, you know, after, um, after a while, after drawing these characters and, and using them the way that we use them for comedy and even in the action sequences, how they, how well that, you know, they were able to animate, um, you know, I, I they kind of grew on me. So I was able to, um, you know, to, to kind of adapt and, um, and uh, use those uh, designs and things like that to, um, to make this kind of new Scooby-Doo um, that really leaned heavily on, on comedy and action and adventure and things like that. Um, so yeah, I hope, does that answer your question? I don't know. I'm kind of <laughs> trailing off. I'm just rambling here. No, it definitely answers the question for sure. Okay, good. <laughs> And uh, going off of the designs there, that is one of the like general complaints of the show for people who, you know, before they start watching it is the art style. Uh, what would you maybe say to people who, you know, tend to refuse to watch the show because of the designs? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I totally get you. You know, I understand because um, that's the first thing that grabs an audience is the design. You know, it's it's a poster or it's a trailer. and when you first see something that's, you know, one of your first indications of, am I going to watch this or not? Um, so the designs, um, I would say going online and reading all these comments about, yes, the designs really kind of put people off or, or, um, they're really jarring just because they're so different. Um, I would say give Scooby, be cool Scooby-Doo a chance because it really is. And again, uh, all of the, um, the comments that I read, you know, uh, they say, yeah, I hate the designs, but once I started watching it, it's one of the best shows ever, you know? So if you can get past the designs and just watch one episode, I think you're going to fall in love with it and you're really going to like it. And then you'll probably come to understand why those designs were chosen because they really play well with the comedy. Um, you know, any other designs might not have, um, have made it as funny as it is. And I think the humor is, um, is one of Be Cool Scooby-Doo's uh, strongest points. Definitely. And what was it like to come in to work on a show with the characters that you had grown up watching? Yeah, it was um, it was like, you know, one of those dream come true um, kind of scenarios where I never thought that I would be working on such an iconic show, you know? Um, that's why I jumped on it when I heard that they were producing this and they were looking for a director. I was, uh, you know, I raised my hand. And I said, "Hey, I can do that," because, um, yeah, I, I saw it as a big opportunity, and, and um, I really, uh, you know, the fond memories that I have of watching Scooby Doo when I was young, um, 
I was able to kind of instill that into the show as well. So it was almost kind of, uh, yeah, like a dream project. Even though, you know, it was different and we were able to put our own spin on it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I thought it was great. It's a great opportunity. Definitely. And if you had the chance, would you uh, take on another Scooby project? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been talking to uh, the people at Warner Brothers. I know that they have a lot of um, direct-to-video Scooby-Doo stuff going on. Um, and I would love to do one of those. I know that they have a new Scooby-Doo in production, a new series. They're always going to have a new series. I think it's funny. I looked this up online, and I don't think any Scooby-Doo series has gone more than two seasons. Um, it seems like the original did, but I think after the second season, they switched up the title or something and they, they kind of made it a new show. Um, I might be wrong about that, but, um, it looks like every two years there's a new, or every two seasons, I would say there's a new Scooby-Doo. So, um, there's always a new opportunity to, to do something different with Scooby-Doo. So yeah, if they would, if they would have me, I would love to do another Scooby-Doo. Definitely. Awesome. Um, and why do you think that Scooby-Doo has lasted for over 50 years now? I, I think it's definitely the characters um, and the characters within the scenarios that they're put in. So you've just got these lovable kids. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, I might be dating myself. The Goonies, if, if anybody has ever heard of the Goonies. <laughs> um, it's just this group of kids that, you know, go on adventures and, and, um, you know, in Goonies, they're searching for treasure. Um, and in, in Scooby, they're, um, they're trying to solve this mystery and, um, and they each have their own personality traits and, um, and how they play against each other is, is really fun and how Scooby is always so innocent and lovable and, um, and that relationship between Shaggy and Scooby, uh, is so heartwarming. And even, you know, within the Scooby, the different Scooby series, uh, they're able to play with some of those relationships a little bit. Like I know in Mystery Inc., um, they had Daphne and Fred kind of uh, in a romantic relationship and, um, and Shaggy and Velma um, in the same. So, you know, they're able to always kind of tweak things around for each, uh, you know, uh, series and, and make it their own, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so there's, there's still so much that can be done, I think, with, uh, these characters and, and, um, and, but without abandoning what makes them so great, uh, is their like personality and the, the, the fact that they, they all lend something to this, to this group of mystery solvers. Definitely. Um, I think that covers all of the questions that I had here written down for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at all? Um, no, I mean, for those, you know, that haven't seen Be Cool, Be cool Scooby-Doo, um, I would just encourage them to give it a shot. Uh, you know, it, it feels like everybody that has seen it has really liked it. So, um, and, and I know everybody that worked on the show is really proud, um, of what they did. So, um, yeah, I would just encourage them to seek it out. I think, is it on Boomerang? Is that what Yes. Okay. It's on Boomerang. Um, but maybe eventually it'll come to HBO Max or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, we'll see. But if you can catch it, you know, I'd recommend you do. Definitely. 
Um, and just before we end here, are there any recent projects that you want to promote at all? Or if there's any social media where people can follow what you're up to? Um, you know what? I should be on social media. I, I'm not really, I, I don't, I don't really promote myself, but I need to get into that. So, um, nothing on social media, but, uh, I am currently on Teen Titans Go for Warner Brothers. Um, and we're making some really cool, fun episodes that are coming out soon. Um, so stay tuned for, you know, the New Year's and the Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas episodes that are coming. Um, we just finished this Night Begins to Shine special, um, Teen Titans Go, which is really cool. Uh, it's it's kind of a different take on Teen Titans. It's a more serious uh, throwback to 80s, um, just being radical and awesome. Uh, with cool music and uh, all kinds of neon and um, and neat character designs and uh, so that already aired. But if you haven't seen it, check that out. Uh, that's that's something that we put a lot of work into and uh, hope it came out really good. And um, also go see uh, the new Scooby uh, Scooby Doo. Guess who I think it's called um, or Scooby Doo and Guess Who. Um, I hear that's really funny. I haven't seen any, but uh, I know a lot of people that worked on that series, and um, I'm hearing it came out really good. So check that out. Um, and yeah, and the Scooby movie, obviously, which I thought came out pretty good, too. Definitely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me today, James. Sure, anytime. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to James Krensky for chatting with me. For more groovy content, be sure to check at UnmaskedSD on Twitter, at UnmaskedSDPodcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo podcast. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme, which features writer Josie Campbell. Scooby-Doo-Bee-Doo!